Welcome back to the podcast, Fibromyalgia Real Solutions with Amanda Love. My name is Amanda Love, and I'm a registered holistic nutritionist who works with those with fibromyalgia. And today's guest is Trish. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Amanda. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for joining me. So how did you get into gut health? Yeah, I got into gut health really because of my own struggles. I kind of got this vague diagnosis of IBS in my early 20s. I started to have digestive concerns, but really on the outside and from medical records, I, I didn't really have anything wrong in my blood work. And they were like, you know, digestive concerns are just really common in young women. Most young women have IBS. And I was oh, like, geez. I don't think I, I, I really want to <laughs> accept that. And I don't think that's fully true. Right. So I went to research the gut more and I did realize it was at the core of all of our health. And it was affecting things like my skin health, my joint pain, my energy, my mental clarity, and so many other areas of my health, but I didn't have to live with this irritable bowel anymore. <laughs> and so I joined my first health coaching certification really to help myself. I went on to study nutrition, kind of healed my gut and really manage this irritable bowel. And now I help others do the same because I just was like, wow, I stepped on gold here and I want to help others manage this. It's, it's no way to live. And I love it. It's my passion. That's wonderful. So yeah. how long have you been doing this? Yeah, I've been working as a health coach with the niche of gut health for about a year and a half. And my journey is a little bit longer than that. But within the last year and a half, I've worked with quite a few people. And I think I've realized just how common these issues are. And I realized how individualized and unique it is. But I love throughout this time, even though it's been a short period of time with all my studies, finding the common denominators. And although gut health is complicated in some ways. I found there are definitely things that are true for all people with their gut health. Um, so yeah, I'm happy to be here and share some of that today. What do you find is like the common denominators? Yeah, I think one of the main common denominators is this experience of biochemical stress in the body. And I think when it comes to stress, we often default to thinking that stress is mental and emotional stress. And those things happen and those things affect our health, right? When we're under mental stress or we're feeling emotional, we release cortisol, that hormone that does affect our body, put us in fight or flight mode. We're not resting, we're not digesting, and it can actually impact our gut microbiome and our bacteria. But really what biochemical stress is, it's all these things that we feed our body, um, whether it's nutrition, whether it's, you know, how hydrated we are or not. So kind of how, how well balanced our blood sugar is based on our movement and our sleep. So our hormonal health is part of this biochemical stress picture. And then of course, outside environmental toxins from the environment, from, um, cleaning supplies, you know, processed foods that essentially cause inflammation in the body. So when you think of biochemical stress, you can think of inflammation and I'm sure you're no stranger to knowing that inflammation is really the root of all disease, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of what's happening when we have biochemical stress. So I think um, underneath the surface of any gut issues are calming that inflammation, kind of finding your specific triggers of this biochemical stress, just like you would with mental or emotional stress. Like what are, what are your stressors? What, what uh, causes you to do the most stress? Is it your job? Is it your career, your relationship, whatever? Same with biochemical stress, kind of finding the things that cause these inflammatory reactions. I think when it comes to gut health, some of the ways you can find these are of course, digestive concerns from food triggers. So you eat a food, 
you're bloated, you have gas, you have diarrhea, you have discomfort, mm-hmm. but it's not always just digestive. I think a lot of people are like, I don't know, I've got issues because it's not digestive, but they have pain, right? Maybe, right. maybe they actually have fibromyalgia or other conditions. They have skin issues like psoriasis or acne or um, eczema. They are just really low energy and brain fog. I think the mental effects can also be here too. So seeing what you're consuming, whether it's food, it's drinks, it's beverage, um, when you're recognizing maybe what cleaning supplies or products maybe invoke a reaction in you, that's not maybe an allergy, but that inflammatory response. That's some of the ways you can kind of find these biochemical triggers for you. And it's important to do that. Yeah. I think it's important because it is kind of looked over and, um, this is very specific and again, individualized because I think this will come down. This is kind of the the key here when it's more individualized than just eat clean or eat healthy, right. Or eat from gut health. I think that a lot of times gut health diets, we think maybe low FODMAP diet. Some people default and think that, you know, um, veganism is the best plant-based. Some people think a paleo plan is best. And I think this is basically saying one size is not going to fit all and different things can cause this sort of inflammation and stress in your body. And you just kind of have to do that trial and error. Um, and I think it's important too, because it's empowering. Once you kind of find what works for you and the ways to calm this stress, you will be more empowered and you'll have the pieces of the puzzle here of maybe more your root cause of gut issues. What do you find is like people's main root cause of gut issues? Yeah. Um, I think that's a good one because I think it's a mix of lifestyle habits or lifestyle factors. And then other early life experiences or other experiences we maybe can't control as much. So I'll explain (laughs) those early life experiences are like, were we breastfed or were we bottle fed, uh, vaginally birthed or C-section, all those things can kind of affect our microbiome. We probably can't handle that or control that. And there are things that happen that people maybe cannot do that. A mother, um, you know, has to make the best choice for herself, but early antibiotic use or just excessive antibiotic use. Things like food poisoning, you know, unfortunately those can cause biochemical stress as well and affect, um, our gut microbiome. Um, so it's a lot of a medicinal use in different medicines as well that could cause this. And then the lifestyle habits are, of course we can choose, I guess we can, I was going to say the lifestyle things that we can control, but we can control how much we use an antibiotic as well. Um, so essentially like that can wipe out all of your bacteria going to leave you within a vulnerable environment. Then you kind of have biochemical stress because your gut is inflamed. There is an imbalance. So we can control that, um, you know, just focusing on using an antibiotic only when absolutely necessary. Um, so I do see that with a lot of clients, like they've been using antibiotics and they had food poisoning and they were kind of constantly down this spiral and they needed to kind of take a more holistic approach. But then of course, these other biggest underlying root causes are lifestyle factors. Like I like to describe this as what we're consuming. So of course we consume food and maybe it was a food sensitivity or even an allergy, something like gluten that maybe they had celiac disease or they had a strong sensitivity for years and they didn't know. Um, I like to think gluten, dairy, and then sugar are kind of the top three biggest ones. So excessive sugar use, um, 
other chemicals kind of hidden in food. So like maltodextrin and really processed forms of food, even if they tried to go gluten-free, but now they're just having gluten-free cookies and crackers. <laughs> um, but then other things we consume, of course, are toxins in cleaning products and things like that. So it's typically when I, I say that's a root cause is that's chronic. It's not someone who does that every now and again, but they kind of had a lifestyle and they didn't realize that the intricacies of their nutrition um, was really affecting their gut health. But then I think the other things we're consuming is, is it consuming a nature of hustle and bustle? Is it, um, yeah, you know, versus true. not getting a lot of sleep and um, actually being um, not kind to our body. So not getting enough exercise or they're over exercisers and they had a focus on high protein diets. And so I do think, even though we're talking more about biochemical stress, I think the emotional and mental things that we do consume have been a huge causal factor. Um, a lot of times what I see with clients is they're overeaters or they're emotional eaters. So they've turned to food and I'm just saying this, this was me as well. As someone who didn't really have issues with weight, I didn't need to watch the quantity of what I was eating, but I realized I just love food and I eat it a lot. And I turned to it for emotional reasons and I never gave my gut a break. So I had essentially motility issues. I was always feeding my body food and it wasn't running through my digestive tract efficiently and really right. getting digested. Um, so I think those other behaviors, that's what I mean by all the things we consume are root causes. So my, to kind of wrap up here, I think a lot of times people think a root cause is a bacterial imbalance. And that totally can be right. We can have more bad bacteria than good. We call it dysbiosis. It's unregulated, bad bacteria is overgrowing, but that bacteria didn't have happen for no reason. It was maybe those life experiences of antibiotic use, um, uh, you know, food poisoning, and then these lifestyle factors over time that likely contributed to that. So that's the true root cause of this biochemical stress and these gut issues. It's, it's a combination of everything. Exactly. And I, I, I'm glad you pointed that out because I think, um, unfortunately we want it to be one thing. <laughs> We're like, can I, I always, just, that's what I always say. I say, it's not just one thing that's, that's wrong. Yeah. It's not just one thing that's wrong. It's so many things, small things, they might seem small on their own that contributed to it but it is the combination. It's not necessarily one specific causal factor. One bigger thing may have had an influence, but it's this combination of small things. And although that can be frustrating because now you need to kind of heal it with a combination of things, the way I like to spin it for my clients is say, every small step is going to make a big difference for you because these small right. steps over time are what caused this over the years. These small hinges, I like this quote, small hinges swing big doors. These small steps you take are going to add up and accumulate to massive healing and really, really help you manage. Um, so don't discount that. It's maybe good news that the small things, it's a combination because you can address the combination of things. Right. And um, you mentioned food sensitivities. Yeah. That's a big thing. Oh, it is a big thing. And yeah. um Unfortunately, I do think food sensitivities are more common than people like to let up on. I know for me, when someone first suggested it was maybe gluten, 
I was like, that, that can't be. I eat bread every single day. Little did I know was my bread consumption on a daily basis was adding up. And, and sometimes you just don't realize until you get rid of the food and then add it back in how much more strong of a reaction you have and how your body will reject it. Mm. Um, but I think because of, you know, how foods are genetically modified and processed to have higher levels of gluten. And we're just, I'm using gluten as an example, because it's a big one, right? Um, we we're over consuming it. We're consuming it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner compared to back in the day when people had, you know, fresh made bread with a couple meals and that was it. Um, so, so there are some real reasons why this is popping up for sure. Um, but yeah, I would say that is common with most of my clients. I'll say some clients just do really well with cleaning up and lessening their intake of these biggest triggers that I mentioned. Um, it's not an exhaustive list, but it's often gluten, dairy, sugars. Um, of course there are other allergens. Some people don't fare well with eggs and histamines or fermented foods, but, um, I do think at least lessening your intake. And then some people just have to get rid of it altogether, but that's a huge factor here. And food sensitivities essentially are biochemical stress instead of like a, a negative thought, uh, combating your brain, causing mental stress. Think of food sensitivity, kind of combating your gut and saying, well, <laughs> you don't belong here. <laughs> right. Right. And your gut kind of is resistant to that and it's causing stress. Yeah. And that's exactly I had to get rid of all gluten, soy, and oh, did, yeah. dairy. Oh, and soy. Soy is the other big one. I always yeah. forget about soy because I, I, I can handle soy and I, I don't want to discount that because that is a big one for a lot of people for sure. Um, and yeah, and I'm, I'm curious, like, has it really, has it really helped you with your fibromyalgia? Yeah, it turned my life around. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yep. I was, a wellness chiropractor was like, yeah, you have two genes predispose you to that gluten sensitivity, highs in practice. I was 21 years old and now mm. I'm 31. So it's, wow. it'll be 10 years this summer. But I mean, wow. I think it, I think the biggest thing is people don't realize it stays in your body for a long time. So you can't exactly eat, right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? That is actually a good point. I think in this discussion on biochemical stress and it staying in your body, because, um, that is why, you know, it takes, and I think there's different research on like the half-life and how it stays in there, but you can stop eating gluten in a week. Right. And, or, and a week later, it can still be in your system. Your body's still trying to process it out. So it is going to take time for your body to kind of be cleansed from these things. And if you have a little dose here and there, it might not seem like a big deal, but it's little doses of stress. <laughs> and like kind of our, our other theme, it's like, it does add up over time and it's little doses. I mean, think about, you know, comparing this to mental stress, uh, sibling or someone who's nagging you and just like poking you every five minutes. And it might seem like nothing on its own, but then over time you kind of build up and you have that emotional stress. Or you feel overwhelmed every time you add something to your to-do list, it causes that mental overwhelm. Everything that you add to your gut or your body that's causing that little bit of biochemical stress will uh, compound over time. And that's why like full removal and adopting another lifestyle that's gluten-free or a lifestyle of different way of eating is so helpful. It is helpful. And it's once you get used to it, it's not as hard. 
You know what? That's like, I think um, I post about this quite a bit. um, And I tell my clients that it seems it's going to seem so heavy at first. It's going to seem like a big deal. And you're probably going to be thinking about it a lot. But then over time, you're like, I don't even remember the last time I thought about consciously being gluten-free, I just do it, right? It just becomes your lifestyle. And it really like over time with practice, it's totally manageable. Um, And I know for a lot of food allergies and things, it can be even harder, but over time you can absolutely do it and you just get used to it. Your body adjusts. Yeah. And you feel better. So why not keep doing it? So that's your perfect motivation. Absolutely. You're like, you feel better and that's going to fuel your and and focus on that feeling. I think that's another thing I always like to say, focus on how good you are feeling, what you can eat, all these benefits. And then that's what you're going to focus on. And you're not going to think about not having it or that lack. Right. And you have clearer skin, you have more energy and all the other things all these other benefits, just like there's all those like supplementary or accessory side effects of having poor gut health. Um, besides maybe you're just your main issue, whether it's pain or whether it's digestion, um, you're going to have all these other benefits and you're gonna be like, wow, (laughs) I appreciate that. I want to keep doing that. And the biggest thing is I find just because you're going to go gluten-free doesn't mean you should go to the gluten-free snacks. Exactly. Exactly. Cause the gluten-free snacks just have tons of added sugar. A lot of times it's a gluten-free grain that's just as processed, if not more processed than whole right. wheat, right? Like your body is maybe not going to be good with the protein gluten found in the wheat, but like, it's going to maybe be actually technically more unhealthy than whole wheat product for someone who can have that. So absolutely. I tell people, Typically you can splurge every now and again for a birthday, a celebration. It's nice to have those things, but just making the shift to gluten-free cookies and crackers, isn't going to make you healthy. You want to focus on more of the whole foods. Yeah. I tell people all the time, there's a ton of sugar in all those products and it's a crazy, what a difference it's been in the last like 10 years since I've done. Yeah. You know what? I, I wanted to ask you that because for me now, Um, it's been maybe four and a half, close to five years, I would say. And I think in my short time, five years of being gluten-free, I've seen a huge shift, like so many more products coming out and it's nice to technically have more variety, but usually it's a lot more products that are just the process form. Like Oreo just came out with a gluten-free version. Does it mean that Oreos are healthy? No, those are no, no no healthier than the regular Oreos. Um, so I'm curious, like, what was it like for you when you first went gluten-free and how is it different now? Mm. it's a lot of products I feel like it's just a lot you can't even keep up with how many products are out there I feel like you can't I kind of I I feel the same way and and again even in half the time that you have I can't even keep up with all them out there and I'll get like messages from people like have you seen this brand and I'm like no (laughs) it might be a good brand but focus on you know fruits veggies cleans for Yeah. Clean forms of protein. And then you don't even need to keep track of all those. (laughs) I mean, I know a few products and stuff, but I mean, like it's, it's a a lot. I think it's overwhelming to people to think, Oh, there's all these products out there. I agree. I think it's overwhelming because especially because our, our culture, our society, and even just like our, 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 
what I call our critter, our critter brain, like our fear-based brain wants to think those are the solution. Like, oh, I have to know all these products. I need to try everything out. And it's, it's kind of pushed like, oh, I'll even have friends and family members who think they're doing me a wonderful favor. Like I bought you this, this uh, gluten-free brand of this and that. And it's like, it's wonderful. Right. And maybe I want to try it every now and again, but you don't really, as a rule of thumb, want to make that a weekly thing consistently having. And I think there are some products that are really, really quite clean. Um, but a lot of them have processed rice and corn. And I found a lot of people still have sensitivities to that. Um, so yeah, I think like picking out a few of your favorites and then every now and again, maybe trying some others, but like, um, not feeling pressured to have to try them all. Cause they're not even going to be a better option. They can still cause that biochemical stress in your body. Yeah. And I, and there's things, I mean, there are substitutes if you really want to go there. Yeah. Right. There, there are substitutes like for example, pastas, like you can get chickpea pasta or green pea pasta, where that is the only ingredient and it's just pressed into pasta form versus there are some that, um, you know, are processed corn, rice, and they have added sugar and they have all sorts of things. So there are, there are better options if there's fewer ingredients and those ingredients are also ones that you do well with. Yeah. I, I get like almond milk, but you guys have <laughs> right. realized it has you have to get like the low calorie one because they have a lot of sugar. If you get the. Yes, they can be totally loaded with sugar. Cause think about it. I think from those companies perspective, it's not going to taste like real milk. So they're, they're like try and load it up so that you think it's just as delicious. (laughs) Well, they have like a chocolate. I know there's chocolate and it has there's chocolate now. Yeah. With how many grams of sugar, just as much as milk just as much and, and like probably your whole daily serving of sugar, <laughs> right? Yeah, and, and, just, I, and the one cup. few times I've like accidentally gone in and it's like, it's addicting once you have a glass, then you're like, oh my gosh, absolutely is like the sh- sugar, it, you know, really can have addictive properties. And I think I even kind of, to be honest, I found myself going down that spiral. If you kind of just opt for these other products, um, you know, I found myself like, okay, now I feel like I need gluten-free bread every week. And I tried those brownies once and they were good, but now I feel like I want them again. And you really crave them. And I think to kind of, again, come back that craving for sugar, you have imbalanced blood sugar. Now your body's producing too much insulin, trying to regulate this, like that can lead to other health concerns. And that technically is biochemical stress as well. Putting yourself in a space of craving sugar. Yeah. And craving, once we have one thing, then we sort of go on a spiral. Yeah, I I think that's absolutely true. I think it's entirely possible to indulge, but I think the best tip I can give people on that is like, just try not to keep it in the house all the time. If you feel like you don't want to go down that spiral, you know, have it every now and again, if you're on a trip or you're out to eat, or you're like, this is my week of people coming over birthday week or whatever. Um, But ultimately, like if you focus on healthy carbs via vegetables, potatoes, you know, maybe other grains that are gluten-free, for example, vegetables, fruits, clean protein and healthy fats. Like you really don't need much else. You really don't. Yeah. I find once you eat those healthy foods, if you're craving that sugar, then it's okay to have it, but first eat those healthy foods. 
Yeah. And I think your body's going to actually like appreciate it more because you're actually going to be nourished. You're going to be more full. You're not going to be like focusing on that. Um, but I, I love that concept of like eating intuitively, listening to your body and like not totally depriving if you still want it. Absolutely. But make your, most of your meals that day anyway, the cleaner meals, right. And the ones that are going to actually help you feel good. Cause then even if you have a little bit of upset or a little bit of a reaction, it's not going to be as bad as if you ate like that all day, right. You're going to at least be nourished. Yeah. Or you could plan for it and you could say, Oh, I'm going to have it tomorrow. And then it might not just, it might not be as peeling. <laughs> that is so true. Sometimes delaying it can help um, because you might just want it in the moment, but using something else. So like a lot of times I say, yes, we have this like physical sugar cravings that happens, but a lot of times we're just craving something sweet. So go for a walk, watch a funny video, do something creative, do something that can kind of give you quote unquote sweetness in your life. And then you might, or, or, well, and that's the thing. Like a lot of times it's just straight boredom, right? So you just need to do anything to keep yourself busy or occupied or bring you some spark of joy. Then you won't be bored anymore and you won't rely on the snacking. I think, yeah, I find, I find if I crave sugar, it's because I'm bored. Yeah. (laughs) Hormonal issue. Yes. You know what? I think that's, that's true for a lot of people. And I I find that for myself as well. Um, And you actually reminded me that really the things that we have talked about, like overeating and eating when we don't need it does cause our body biochemical stress because now you're trying to digest and regulate blood sugar, maybe out of your normal meal times. So having as consistent meal times as you can and kind of honoring those, getting into a routine just like you, we have, you probably heard of circadian rhythms for sleep. We have this circadian rhythm around our meal time and our digestion can kind of work on this beautiful clock. And then if we go off of that too often, it can kind of put us down this little spiral. So that can be a great way to manage this biochemical stress. Exactly. And I think one thing we don't do is maybe we don't have enough at our meals. So yes. Yeah. I think in a, again, in a culture of restriction, we're consistently thinking we need to restrict calories, but depending on the quality of your calories, you might not need to do that. Like for example, nuts, like almonds are high in calories and you don't want like an entire bag of almonds in one sitting, but almonds are extremely nutritious. (laughs) So just because they're a quote unquote, high calorie food doesn't mean you should restrict them. And I think that's really important listening to your body. Like maybe I'm still hungry after my meal. It's okay to have another serving, especially if it's the high quality food. Right. Um, especially if it's just like vegetables or right, or protein or something. Yeah. I think, um, as a rule of thumb, it's good to always go back for more veggies or a little bit of protein if you need it after a meal. Um, and yeah, I think just like really listening to what actually is going to help you feel satiated is super helpful. And you might have, I find you might have, you might need a little more calories certain times of the month. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, oh, certain times of the month for, for Uh, women. Absolutely. Um, and then also just depending on what's happening in your life, maybe you're being more active. It's, it's totally okay for your diet, your way of eating, your amount of eating to adjust with the times. And I, I like that you address that too, because I do think 
some people with gut issues can become undernourished because they're restricting too much. Like you almost get in this food fear and you're Mm -hmm. fearful of food and you're afraid it's going to upset your stomach or give you pain or headaches or whatever it is. And so you're not eating enough, but like literally if you just nourish your body more, a lot of your issues could go away. So I do think that that's a huge part. Sometimes people overeating is, is not great, but also undereating is not great. So that shouldn't be discounted. Exactly. So what can people do to improve their gut? Yeah, I think, um, you know, kind of addressing a lot of these things we chat out about, like finding your food sensitivities, um, you know, finding what foods work for you as well. Some of these other lifestyle habits, like getting optimal sleep and water intake. I know we hear that a lot, but they, they regulate hormones. They really do a big difference. They do. Um, but one other tip that I like to give that I think people don't always think of is, focus on how you're eating and not just what you're eating. So are you eating in a mindful enough manner? This is really helpful because we have something called the cephalic phase of digestion and that's cephalic means head. So it's all in your head here. And this means like before you eat, you're going to look at your food. You're going to smell it. You're going to maybe express gratitude. What happens is about 20% of your stomach acid is released at this point before the food even gets to your stomach and you start to chew. So you're actually getting prepared for food and then you're chewing. You're using the mechanics of your mouth and the chemicals in your saliva, which have digestive enzymes to really process your food. So no matter what you're eating, I tend to give people the tip of chew each bite of food 20 to 30 times and really enjoy it. Put your fork down or your utensil in between each bite. Don't just shovel it. (laughs) See if you can have a meal that lasts about 20 minutes rather than five. All these things are going to benefit your digestion, help you feel more at ease and mindful and less stressed as well. Um, And a lot of times, you know, we just need this break. We need to slow down. We can't digest if we're in sympathetic nervous system. It's literally going to sit in our stomach like a brick. We need to be in this relaxed state. And if you're going to eat, you might as well have a little little bit of mindfulness at that point in your day, every day. So I think focus on mindful eating and how you are eating. And that can be a huge difference for people who experience gut issues, things like bloating, gas, they need more regularity. And of course, things like heartburn will be prevented from this as well. I like that because... We all need to slow down when we're eating our meals. We all need to slow down again, like physiologically, it's going to help you. But also in this hustle bustle world, again, a lot of times we're consuming media or we're trying to work while we eat. And it's like, what if you could just devote your mealtime to just consuming your food and spending that time with yourself? Because a lot of times... I'll tell my clients, we got to work on stress management too, not just nutrition. Like I don't have time for it. It's like, well, you're going to eat anyway. Let's see if we can do it when you have your meal at the same exact time. Right. Yeah. Because stress is such a big thing right now. It is. It's such a big thing. Um, I, I don't think it should be discounted or put aside. Like we are all under stress. The state of the world is different. There's been a lot of changes this last full year now. (laughs) And so, you know, it definitely, definitely, we need to work on that as well. Not just this biochemical, but I know you've spoken about that emotional and mental that is also so helpful. So it's really kind of this holistic picture and thinking about it in that way, all the ways you can prevent stress. So you have better digestion is going to be so helpful. Yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah. So where can everyone find you? Yeah, I, I appreciate that. My um, website is healthcoachingbytrish.com. A lot of my links for social will be on there. I am most active on Instagram. I'm at feelgoodgutgirl on Instagram. My Facebook page is healthcoachingbytrish. Or again, my uh, podcast is Ice Cream, You Scream, a health and wellness podcast. I co-host it with my friend who's an ice cream aficionado. I am the lactose intolerant health coach and we give some other health and wellness tips. A lot are gut directed, but we, we sprinkle in a little bit of humor in there as well. So feel free to uh, listen to that and, and reach out in any way. It sounds perfect. I'll put it in the show notes. Awesome. So why did you, um, why are you, why did you decide on the name feel good gut girl? I like that question. I um, was working with a coach at the time. Actually, I decided on it before then, but I didn't have the the, uh, confidence, I think, to step into that name Um, because truthfully, my biggest cliche in life is I just want to help people feel good. I want you to feel good physically in your gut. So like no more bloat and discomfort, but also feel good almost intuitively deep down in your gut about the choices you're making. I want this to be a lifestyle that feel sustainable because I think, you know, I want people to be healthy and we can't live our best lives unless we're healthy, but also it can be stressful to go on a health journey. So focusing on just finding what feels good, I think is so important. So that's kind of just the uh, energy that I wanted to bring to my practice. So I use feel good gut for my programs and of course my social name and my name as a coach. So thanks for asking that. Yeah. I wanted to know. Yeah. Is there Anything else you would like to share? Yeah, I, um, I guess I'll, I will say that I am starting my first group coaching program. It's a 30 day little boot camp called the feel good gut Boot Camp, And a lot of my clients were asking for a little small group format. So this is really fantastic. If you're just looking to kind of kickstart your digestive health journey, or you need to kind of get back on track. Um, and you can really, you know, reach out to me or find more about that as I post this month, but I'd love to kind of pilot that. And if anyone's listening and they want to start out, this would be a great place to maybe start on this journey. And I'd love to help you. Sounds great. Thank you so much for coming on this show and sharing your knowledge. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Amanda. I really appreciated it.